this morning as we continue through the story of the Bible, we are, are looking at the story of Jonah. Now Jonah, he lived about 320 years before the events in the book of Ezra that we looked at last week. He, he served under uh, King Jeroboam II. Now Jeroboam II was one of the worst kings in the history of the nation of Israel. And so Jonah is about 320, 350 years before what we looked at last week. And now while we're going back in the timeline of the Bible, the book of Jonah doesn't have anything to do with the history of Israel or the, it doesn't tell any history of the Bible. So it kind of fits in really anywhere we want to put it. And so we're putting it right here. Uh, now the, the book of Jonah, it's an, it's an interesting book uh, of the Bible because Jonah is one of the minor prophets. He is a minor prophet of God, but his book, his prophecy, if you will, is nothing like the rest of the minor prophets. See, all the other minor prophets, Obadiah and Nahum and Habakkuk and Hosea, all these other minor prophets of God, they are prophesying to Israel or to us through God. God is using them and speaking through them, and God is giving them a prophecy, and they are conveying it to the nation of Israel and to us through Scripture. So Jonah is different because instead of the word of God through a prophet, it's just the story of a prophet. It's a story about a prophet. And Jonah is unlike any other prophet uh, in the nation of Israel because by all accounts, Jonah was a terrible person. And we're going to see why. And some of these things, this is one reason I love kind of getting into these books and really diving deep into these stories because typically when we think of Jonah, uh, just like when we think of the flood and we think of you know David, and God, we have these, these kind of fanciful images, kind of like these veggie tale stories. Like when you think of the story of, of, of Noah and the flood, a lot of us, when we just conjure up an image, we think we see the image that we see on nursery walls where it's, you know, this fat little chubby Noah smiling big with the rainbow over the ship and the animal smiling big and it's just a wonderful scene. And it was a terrible story. I mean, it was, and I understand we don't want to put Noah in the ark and the ark didn't look like a boat. It was, it was more rectangle. We don't want to put this big floating rectangle with a bunch of corpses floating in the water on nurseries. I understand why we don't do that. But we, we think of these stories and we kind of imagine them a little bit cheerier and, you know, kind of better than they actually are. And Jonah, the story of Jonah, uh, is a pretty terrible story because Jonah, uh, he's racist. We're going to see that. He's, he's stubborn. He's bitter. He's unforgiving. And Jonah actually hates God because of how God treats the people he hates. So he is angry and hates God because God is good to the people that Jonah hates. And so we, we first see Jonah in uh, 2 Kings chapter 14. He is called before Jeroboam II and asked to give a prophecy about an upcoming battle. 
And Jonah tells Jeroboam that God is going to bless him because God is for him and he's going to win the battle and he's going to reclaim a bunch of land on the northern side of Israel that had been taken in previous battles. And so Jeroboam loves this prophecy. But remember, Jeroboam was a wicked king. He was a terrible king. He, he worshipped false idols. He was part of child sacrifice. And so God was not for Jeroboam. And when Jonah prophesies that God's going to bless him and use him, right after that, Amos comes to Jeroboam and he confronts Jeroboam about his sin and he tells Jeroboam, God didn't say that. God said that you're going to lose the battle, you're going to lose even more land, and eventually you're going to die. So why are there these conflicting prophecies from these prophets of God? You got Jonah saying, man, God's going to bless you, you're going to win, you're going to receive land. You got Amos saying, no, God's mad at you, you're going to lose the battle, you're going to lose land, eventually you're going to die. Why do we have these conflicting prophecies? Well, a prophet in this time was subject to the king's whims. So if he prophesied good about the king, then the king liked him and would bless him and would give him property and money and keep him safe. But if he came before the king and said, as Amos did, God's mad at you and God's going to kill you, the king could get mad and kill the prophet. And it had happened before. A lot of prophets had been killed because of how they prophesied to the king about the judgment that was coming. So as, as prophets go, Jonah wasn't a great one. He doesn't tell Jeroboam what God says. He tells Jeroboam what Jeroboam wants to hear so he can be blessed and he can be safe instead of suffering because of this king. So he's not a great prophet, so it's hard to understand why God would use this guy in the first place. But that's good news. That's good news for us because Jonah shows us an incredible truth. God, out of his love for you, is relentlessly pursuing you even when you run from him. Even when you are unworthy of his mercy and his grace, God is eager to give that grace and mercy and love to us. So today... We're going to, uh, Jonah shows us that no matter what you have done for God, no, no sin you've committed, no hypocrisy that you have in your life, nothing disqualifies you from God's love. So this morning we're going to look at the whole book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to go fast, maybe, so buckle up. But first look at Jonah chapter 1, verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So right off the bat, we are introduced to three characters in the book of Jonah. The first priest people we're going to look at are the Ninevites. Now the Ninevites were people who were living in the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh. The Ninevites were an unbelieving enemy of God. They are a violent nation. They are a pagan nation. They are known throughout the world for their brutality and the torture of their enemies. They would, if they, when they won a battle or they conquered a city 
everyone they didn't kill in battle, especially the soldiers and the men, they would hold mass executions where they would put sharpened stakes in the ground and they would tie your hands behind your back and place you on the stake with the stake right under your ribs so the weight of your body slowly pulled you down over that stake and you died a slow, horrible death. They would skin their enemies alive. Their conquered enemies, especially the kings, if they conquered a nation, they would take the king and skin him alive, then tan his flesh and use it as decorative leather. They were known to cut off the, the arms, the legs, the noses, the tongues, the ears of their enemies. They were known to gouge out their enemies' eyes and even burn children alive in front of their parents. The Ninevites are terrible people. We can all agree with that, right? Most theologians equate them to kind of ISIS today, just a, a terrible group of people who hate God, who hate God's people, and are just unnecessarily brutal. So as a people, they were not great. They were enemies of God and his people. And in this story, they should be the bad guy. But they end up being the good guy. Then we have Jonah, the prophet. Now Jonah, of course, he is a prophet of God. As a prophet of God, Jonah is supposed to be the good guy. But while he is religious, he's a hypocrite and he doesn't trust God. He doesn't believe that God knows what is best. He lives in Israel during a, one of the better times to live in the nation of Israel uh, in their history. They're prosperous. They have power. It's a, it's a time of peace. And Jonah was extremely patriotic. He loved Israel and was vehemently loyal to Israel. He loved Israel more than he loved God. He, he loved his nation more than he loved the king, the God of his nation. The third character we meet is God. Now, God is the only true good guy in this entire story. He gives mercy and he gives grace to people who don't deserve it. And the story, it seems pretty straightforward. God comes to his servant, comes to his prophet, and says, I need you to go to Israel's enemy and prophesy against them. Now, we're going to see that's key there because the second time he tells Jonah to do something, he tells him to do something different. But he says, I need you to go to Nineveh and preach against them, to preach coming judgment. But God isn't sending Jonah to Nineveh to deal with Nineveh. God is sending Jonah to Nineveh to deal with Jonah. Look at verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. So God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh, go east to Nineveh and preach against the nation of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, about, against their, their sin, preach judgment to them. But instead, 
Jonah goes west. And he goes to Joppa and finds a ship going as far west as he can possibly go. And we're not told why Jonah disobeys God. Yet, we're told later in chapter 4 why Jonah disobeys God. In chapter 4, he, we see that he runs from God's command to go to Nineveh because Jonah hates the Ninevites. And he knows if he goes to Nineveh and he preaches against them, they may repent. And if they repent, God's going to forgive them. God's going to show mercy. God's going to show grace. And he can't stand the idea of Nineveh receiving the grace of God. He wants God's mercy for himself. He wants God's mercy for Israel, but not for the people he doesn't think are deserving of it. John Piper says this. He says, religious people like Jonah don't like the free mercy of God. It calls their supremacy into question. They no longer have something that the bad people don't. And here is God calling Jonah to go preach the gospel to the terrorists who deserve punishment. And Jonah doesn't like this, so he runs as far away as he can. See, Jonah is rejecting God's command because he doesn't like the fact that God will show mercy to people he doesn't think deserve mercy. So he runs from God, and when we run from God, it never ends well. This story, it shows us a few things about Jonah and about ourselves. First thing it shows us is, number one, running from God causes problems. I know what you're thinking. Duh. That makes, we all know that. None of us here think, well, I can run from God and get away from it. See, in verse 3, Jonah, it says he rose up to run to Tarshish to get away from the presence of God. That is absolutely ridiculous. Psalms 139 says, Whether shall I go from thy spirit? Or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Look, Jonah shows us there is no way for us to get outside of the reach of God. God is the creator of the earth and God is the creator of the sea and God can find us anywhere we try to go. You know, later on in this chapter, Jonah even recognizes this. He tells the sailors that are scared for their life. He goes, oh, I worship the God of the, the God who created the earth, the God who created the sea. And here I am in the sea trying to get away from him. You know, we can look at Jonah and we can think, man, what was he thinking? There's no way that he can run and hide from God. But we do the same thing. We don't literally try to find a new city or try to hide from God thinking God won't see me here. But anytime we sin, we think God can't see us. We think God doesn't notice we do the same thing every time we sin against God. We don't stop believing in God. We just think we can hide some things from him. Tolian took Jonathan in his book, Surprised by Grace, say, who is that? 
It's Billy Graham's grandson, all right? He says, Jonah's runaway posture is our posture every time we sin. It's not that we stop believing in God. It's just that what we believe has shifted. When we sin, that something which we choose to believe in is not God, but ourselves as God. See, when we run away from God in our sin, that we are struggling with the same problems that Jonah was struggling with in his sin. The first problem that we struggle with is pride. See, Jonah was willing to obey God when it benefited him or his people. He thought he knew better than God. So in his pride, he comes up with a new plan. God says, go preach against Nineveh. And Jonah knows if I go to Nineveh, they're going to hear the gospel. They may, they, may get, they may repent, and God may spare them. And that's not what should happen. What should happen is they should be destroyed. There's always a ship willing to take you away from God. There's always something else to run to in your life instead of God. See, the problem is we have to work harder to disobey God than if we just obeyed God in the first place. Nineveh was 500 miles from where Jonah was in Israel. Tarshish was 2,500 miles away. Jonah was willing to go five times further than God told him to just to disobey God. We, go out, we will go out of our way to do anything that we think we deserve. We'll go out of our way to make sure that we don't forgive that person that hurt us, even when freedom from bitterness is so close. We'll go, out of, we'll go to the end of the world to avoid doing what is right if it isn't what we want to do in our own lives. Look at verse number four in chapter one. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth wares that were in the ship in the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and lay down and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if be so that God will think upon us that we perish not. How, how could Jonah, this storm is so severe that seasoned sailors are fearing for their life. These men who, their life is to see. They're used to storms. They're used to difficulty. They're used to kind of rough wind and rough waves. But it is so bad. These experienced sailors are like, we're going to die. And Jonah is just sleeping down in the bottom of the ship. See, Running from God is exhausting. And you will do anything you can to not think about it. Look at verse number seven. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause is this evil upon us? What is thy occupation? And whence comest thou? What country, what is thy country? And what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew and I fear the Lord. No, he doesn't. The God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry ground. See, Jonah, when they say, who are you? What is your people? What is your God? Jonah very pridefully says, 
I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Jew. I am of the nation of God, but he's not acting like it. Look, there's nothing wrong with being proud of something, but this goes deeper than that. See, Jonah's pride in the fact that he is one of God's children makes him feel superior to everybody else. And pride always leads to idolatry. That's the second problem we struggle with when we're running from God. See, idolatry is when you have anything in your life that you value more than God. Jonah's idol was his identity as a Hebrew. He wasn't, his, his identity wasn't anchored in God, but in being a prophet of God. He felt his position as a prophet and his heritage as a Hebrew made him better than everybody else. And if God would treat the Ninevites like he treated the Israelites, that, that wouldn't make him any better than them, and he couldn't have that. So what do, you, what do you have in your life that makes you think you're better than other people? Your job, your family, your marriage, your morality. You're, you're an upstanding, moral person, and so that makes you better than everybody else who's, who's not. Makes you better than the, the wicked in the world. And look, especially, I talked about last week, in our culture, it's easy for us as American Christians to look down on everybody else in the world because God bless America. Yeah, God has blessed America and God continues to and hope he continues to, but the way America's going, I'm not holding out hope for that. But we can't get so puffed up and think, we're American Christians, we're better than everybody else. And we do, I know people that do that. You say, well, I don't do that. Great. I know Christians who do, who put more stock in their patriotism than they do in their relationship with God. And so Jonah had an idol because he thought he was better than other people. Then look at verse number 10. <clears throat> then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Doesn't seem like a great Christian here. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of God's children, but I'm running from God. And so they know what's going on here. And he, uh, then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea was wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now, Jonah seems like a hero now. They come to him and say, Look, we cast lots, it fell on you. What's going on? Oh, I'm a Hebrew, but I'm running from God. What can we do to stop God from killing us? Throw me into the ocean and God will spare you. Sounds like a hero, right? He is sacrificing himself for these heathen sailors. But his solution is still selfish and idolatrous. He's, he's still trying to want to run away from God. Because he figures... They throw me in the sea. I'm going to die. You know what I can't do if I'm dead? Go to Nineveh and preach. If I'm dead, God can't make me go talk to them people. So I'll, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I'll save the sailors. I'll die a hero. And I don't have to do what I don't want to do. So he expects God to kill him. Then look at verse number 15. So he took up Jonah 
and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Look, you cannot run. You, you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Just because you run from his presence doesn't mean he doesn't have a plan to try to get your attention. See, Jonah continues to try to run from God. If I can't get away from God in Tarshish, I'll get away from God in the grave. Just let these people kill me and I'll be fine and done with it. But God had a fish ready to catch him, ready to deal with Jonah's rebellion. And it's, it's funny that the fish obeys God, but the prophet doesn't. Now, this fish isn't intended to pass judgment on Jonah because the story doesn't end there. There's, this is a great picture of God's mercy for us. This, so this is the second thing we need to notice. Number two, God is faithful even in our rebellion. See, Jonah saw the fish as punishment, but it was actually God's provision for him to see God's mercy and grace. Look, how often do you look at what happens in your life and the things that God allows or appoints? How often do you look at them and say, you know what, this, this is harsh and this is hurtful and this is painful to me. And this may not be God's judgment or God's punishment. This may be God providing a way for me to see his grace, to see his mercy and to grow my faith. You know, some of the hardest times in my life were the times I grew the most spiritually. God is always at work, even in your problems. See, the God that never sleeps is always looking after you. He is always chasing after you. He is always pursuing you. Even in your disobedience, God is faithful to us. So look at chapter 2 now. Look at verse number 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the, out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction. Unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now, look, we're not going to get into well, what happened in the fish. Uh, was Jonah dead? I believe he was dead, because uh, I don't believe you can be swallowed by a fish, taken down to the bottom of the ocean, and not die. You know how much oxygen is in the belly of a fish on the bottom of the ocean? None. You know how much oxygen you need to survive? More than none. So I think Jonah's dead. I think he's being digested by the fish. See, here's another. Whenever I used to think about Jonah and the whale, I always pictured Pinocchio in that scene with Geppetto in Monstro's belly. Y'all remember that? Where he's on the, he's in Monstro's belly fishing, trying to get some food. And, you know, Pinocchio comes down there and like, oh, he was okay. That's not what it was like. It was dark and dirty and he's probably dead. So Jonah has probably died. And in hell which Abraham's bosom, again, we're not going to get into the time of that because we don't have time for it. He cries out to God. He prays to God while in the belly of the fish, probably dead, he offers a prayer of repentance. Kind of. We're not going to read the whole, the whole chapter is his prayer. We're not going to read it, but I encourage you to read it when you get home. But when you read Jonah's prayer of repentance, he never confesses his sin. 
He never says, God, I was wrong and you are right. God, I'll obey you no matter what. Please forgive me. He, he praises God for never forgetting about him. He praises God for all his goodness and says, God, if you give me a chance, I'll obey you. But he never one time says, God, I was wrong and you were right. Look what happens in verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. So Jonah, he's in, the, he's in this fish's belly, probably dead for three days. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. Because Jesus was in the, as Jesus was, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three days, so I'll be in the grave. So Jonah's in the belly of this whale, probably a fish, probably dead for three days. He repents to God. He, he doesn't even apologize, but he says, God, you know what? You're great. If you want me to, I'll still obey you. Never says he's sorry. And God resurrects him and vomits him back up on dry ground. And so God, in response to this, has this, this fish puke him up on dry ground. See, God is faithful to hear us when we cry out to him, even when we're living in sin. God is faithful to act on our behalf. Jonah is running from God. Jonah is rebelling against God. But God is still faithful to Jonah. Look at chapter 3, look at verse number 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, remember what he said in verse one, in chapter 1? Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Pass judgment on it. Now, in chapter 3, he's saying, go to that great city and preach to it. First, preach against it. Now preach to it. What changed? The death, burial, and resurrection. Jonah had died, had been buried for three days, and had risen again. A sign, a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And now, instead of having to preach judgment to Nineveh, now he could preach grace to them because the, the, the sacrifice had been given. So it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as payment for our sins where now God doesn't judge us. God shows grace and mercy to us. But again, that's something we're not really going to get into. We don't have time for that. I want to hurry up. Now, the first time, where uh, we're we? Verse number three. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. That means it, it took, will take you three days to walk across it. To walk from end to end of the city would take you three days. It's a big city. All right? Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from, their, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. So the first time God came to Jonah, he told him to preach against it. Now he tells him to preach to Nineveh. And Jonah is good on his promise. He told God in the belly of the fish, God, I'll obey you. If you give me a second chance, I'll obey you. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. So God says, go and preach to Nineveh. And so he gets to Nineveh. He walks about a day's journey in and he gives the most half-hearted sermon ever. In the Hebrew, he spoke five words. Look at his sermon again. 
Yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. Okay, who's overthrowing it? He doesn't tell them. How do you stop it from being overthrown? He doesn't tell them. All he says is 40 days, y'all are toast, peace out, I'm gone. He obeyed God, but he did the bare minimum. He didn't tell them, God, the Jehovah, God, Jehovah of Israel sent me here to tell you that in 40 days he's going to destroy you unless you repent and believe on him. No, he said, 40 days, you're overthrown, see you later. The, the most worthless sermon ever. Look, I wish I could come in and say five words and y'all just, everybody gets, you know, saved and, you know, has revival strike out. And, oh, preacher said five words. But that's what Jonah does. Jonah comes in, gives a weak presentation of the gospel gives no information to help them, says 40 days, you're going to die. And the entire city gets saved. I mean, if you read the story, the king gets saved. The wicked, vile king of Assyria gets saved. It is such an incredible revival that the cows repent and get right with God. Say, so what, what's that for? It's, it's, it's meant in Hebrew literature, this is satire. The writer is telling us, Jonah gave no effort, but God is so great that through this half-hearted, angry, bitter man, such a great revival broke out that even the livestock got right with God. Even the cows got saved. So Jonah is technically obeying, but he's, he's putting in just as, as little effort as he can without ending up back in the fish's belly. Again, we see that God is faithful to a group of people who really don't deserve it, the enemies of God's children. And here's what that shows us. Number three, salvation is up to God, not us. Have you ever been scared to share your faith because you were afraid you wouldn't have all the answers someone had? You were afraid that you may stumble and not get it right and you may, you may trip over your words and so you're, you're scared to share your faith because what if they ask a tough question I can't, understand, I can't answer? What if they ask something I don't know? See, the great news of Jonah is that salvation that people receiving the gospel, it's not up to our eloquent presentation, it's up to God. Jonah said five words with no information for people to repent, but God laid the truth on their heart and they repented and got right with God. See, we don't have to be scared to share our faith. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, he tells us, look, don't be as scared when you stand before people and share your faith. Don't worry about what you're going to say because I will speak through you. It's not our job to make sure we have all the facts and figures and any argument people can have and we've taken apologetics and we've taken evangelism and we've got our, our doctrine in Hebrew and Greek and we can understand the original so we can explain it perfectly. You know what our job is to do? Share the gospel and leave the salvation up to God. People may get saved, people may not. You know whose who's, who's fault it's not? It's not yours. If we share the truth of the gospel God is faithful to work through it. The Bible says his word will not return void. We preach, we share our, the gospel, we share our faith and leave it up to God to do the work in the heart for people to get saved. Look what happens in verse number 10. 
chapter 3. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. See, what Jonah had feared would happen actually happened. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew if they, if they repent, God's going to spare them. So I'm going to run away so God can't use me. Well, God caught me with this storm, so I'll let these sailors kill me because if I'm dead, God can't use me. And God said, oh, I can use you if you're dead. So he had him swallowed by a fish. He died. Because again, fish, bellies, fish of a, a belly of a fish with no oxygen, bottom of the earth, bottom of the sea for three days, you're going to die. So God says, oh, I'll, show, I'll kill you and still use you. So God kills him. He kind of repents. God pukes him out on dry ground. He goes to Nineveh, gives the weakest salvation message ever, and the whole city repents. And God says, now I will not destroy them. See, God wants everyone to be saved, even our enemies. Even the worst sinner, God wants to offer forgiveness to. And that is great news for Nineveh, and that is great news for us because we are all terrible sinners. You know what Jonah, the Ninevites, and we have in common? We all need to be saved. We all need the grace of God. We all need the mercy of God. The good news of Jonah and the gospel is that salvation is available to anyone who will put their faith and trust in Jesus. Salvation is available to every Republican, every Democrat, every Black Lives Matter member, every All Lives Matter member, every American, every immigrant, every terrorist. Salvation is available to everyone and God wants everyone saved. No one is too bad for God to offer forgiveness and salvation to if they'll accept it. If you can't if you can't rejoice in that, that God would save a Christian-hating, American-hating terrorist in Iraq, that God wants to save him, and if you can't rejoice that he gets saved, then you've missed the point of the Bible. You've missed the point of the gospel entirely. God is willing to save anyone who will repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for their sins and nothing else. Anyone who does that will be saved. See, Jonah saw Nineveh's sin as worse than his sin. But both of them were in rebellion to God. Anytime you say no to God, you're a rebel. Look, you may have a, not have a past that's filled with wickedness like the Ninevites did. Your past may not be filled with, with terrible things and wickedness and sin. But anytime you say no to God, you are in rebellion to him. Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches five words and walks away. And 600,000 people repent and get saved. And Jonah, as God's prophet who preached this message, should be ecstatic. Look, if I go down to downtown Roanoke and say five words and the whole city gets saved, man, I'm on cloud nine. 
I'm like, woo, look what God did. Now I'll probably get puffed up and be like, man, God loves me. I sure am a good preacher. But Jonah's not even doing that. He's not, a stay, he's not happy. He's not rejoicing. He's not like, man, this is a great story to tell when I get back to Israel. And I tell Amos, Amos, hey, you maybe tell the truth, but look what happened to me. But he's not happy at all. He is angry and bitter. Look at chapter four, verse number one and two. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Angry about what? That 600,000 people are now not going to hell. That made him mad. That 600,000 people were now going to spend eternity with him in the presence of God, and he didn't want them to. Look at verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He is mad at God for being God. He is mad at God for showing grace and mercy to the Ninevites. I can't wrap my head around that because God had shown grace and mercy to Jonah in incredible ways, and he is using God's character as an insult to God. God, I'm mad because you're good. That just doesn't make any sense. But he's angry with God for showing grace. Everything he hates about God is what he had experienced from God himself. God didn't have to puke him out of the fish and give him a second chance. God could have kept him dead. God could have left him in Sheol, but he didn't. God showed him grace and mercy, even when he didn't deserve it. And now God has showed grace and mercy to Nineveh when they didn't deserve it. And Jonah's mad about that. God didn't have to give him a second chance, but he did. He's been gracious, good, and merciful, and slow to anger with Jonah, and he shouldn't be resentful. He should be grateful. See, Jonah loved all those characteristics of God when it was on his side, when he needed it. But he hated it when people he didn't like received the same thing. See, no one in this story received more grace than Jonah, but he is resentful because he doesn't see himself as a sinner. Even in his resentment, we see that God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin. God's grace is greater than Nineveh's sin. And God's grace is greater than our sin. That brings us to our fourth point. Number four, grace is greater than all our sin. I want you to look at verse three now. <clears throat> Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah would rather die than see people he doesn't like become children of God. Can you imagine that? Honestly, is there anyone in this room that thinks there's that person over there or there's that group of people over there? I hope they go to hell. I, I don't want you to raise your hand because I don't want anything less of you. But there's nobody that's hurt me so bad that I think I want them to go to hell. That's what Jonah's saying here. 
God, if you're going to save them, then kill me. I don't have anything to do with this. Now, it's easy for us to look down on Jonah. Say, I can't believe he would do that. But let's, let's have a little scenario here. What if after 9-11, instead of Osama bin Laden being tracked down and killed, what if he was captured and he got saved? He became a believer. He repented and put his faith in Jesus and became a child of God. And then got out and wanted to worship with us. How do y'all feel about worshiping next to Osama bin Laden? I don't feel that great about it. All right, what about Hitler? How many of y'all want to see Hitler in heaven? I know just mine don't. She's like, he deserves hell. I agree with her. But how many of us, we want to, we want to have, you know, we want to walk down the streets of Gaul and go, hey, Hitler. Don't do that anymore. Don't do that though. Just, Hi, Hitler. I mean, we can't, we, like, we can't believe that. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer was, you know, a t terrible cannibalistic serial killer. He would kidnap and murder young boys and then eat their flesh. We can agree he's a terrible dude, right? Jeffrey Dahmer got arrested, went to prison, and reportedly got saved in prison. He was murdered in prison a couple months later. But supposedly, he accepted Christ as a savior. How many of y'all want to worship next to a former pedophile cannibal? None of us. But we look down at Jonah and say, I can't believe he would do that. I mean, how many of us would rejoice in people going to hell, but that's exactly what Jonah did. See, that's the point of the story. Here's what God is telling us, and we're going to get to why the story ends in a weird way. Are we really okay with God being gracious to everyone the way he's been gracious to you? Are you really okay with God showing grace and mercy to everyone in the world, the people that hurt you, the people that hate you, the people that hate God? Are we okay with God showing them the same grace that he has shown us? Look at chapter uh, four, look at verse four. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? See, the same grace that God showed Jonah is the same grace that he is showing Nineveh and God's saying, can you really be mad about that? Can you really be mad that I'm showing them grace when I showed you way more grace? Yeah, I killed you, but I brought you back. I could have left you dead. But no, I resurrected you to give you a second chance and you, you're really mad at me for showing them grace when I showed you so much more? See, Jonah didn't want their repentance and their salvation. He wanted their destruction. And he thinks God being soft on him. Look at verse five. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the, sh in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. So Jonah, he's still mad at God. So he literally walks outside the city, sets him up a little bench and sits down and waits for God to destroy them. Verse number six. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah and it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. 
This is the first time Jonah's happy in the whole book. He wasn't happy God killed him. He wasn't happy God gave him a second chance and puked him up on dry ground. He wasn't happy 600,000 people repented and now won't be going to hell. He's only happy that he's got a plant to give him shade. That's the only thing that made him happy. The only time he is happy is when God's provision benefits him. Makes his life a little easier. Now look, God's provision was with him in the fish, but he didn't want it. The only time that we appreciate God's provision is when it meets our preferences. Jonah wanted shade, so God had a plant grow up and say, what's a gourd? You know, I've heard people say it's a vine, people say it's a, it's a squash. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a big shady plant. And Jonah's got this big shady plant. It's air conditioning in Old Testament time. So Jonah's finally got this big shady plant. He's happy with it. He, he, God, he needed shade. So God gave him a plant and he loves it. But Jonah also had a greater need. Jonah needed a heart change. God provided a way for him to love his enemies and change his heart. And he hates it. Look at verse 7. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and he smote the gourd and it withered. Just as quickly as God gives him the plant, God takes it away. And see, God has a lot of ways to get our attention. And he's, he's trying to get Jonah's attention here. Look at verse number 8. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Second time he said that. Now, again, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. He's mad that God didn't do, didn't do what he wanted to do. God gave him shade. He's happy. God takes away the shade. And then God sends a strong east wind and a sun to basically give him a heat stroke. And he's like, God, just kill me. If you're going to be hard on me, if you're going to punish me like this and spare them, I just want to die. I just want to give up and quit. Look at verse number nine. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou angry to be well for the gourd? Remember what he, what he said at the beginning of chapter four? Do you have a right to be mad at me for showing grace? And now he says, do you have a right to be mad at me for killing a plant? I made the plant. I can kill it. Do you have a right to be mad at me for that? And God, does thou well be angry with the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. So Jonah says, yeah, i got a right to be mad. Just, just kill me and get it over with. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, doesn't mean they were stupid. It means they were kids. So he's like, there's 600,000 children here and also much cattle. See, Jonah, he spends a day under the scorching sun and he gets mad at God for taking away a shade. He gets so mad, he's like, God, it's better for me to die than to suffer a little sunburn while my enemies aren't being destroyed. Then he, God asked him a question. God says, why are you so mad about a plant dying that you didn't have anything to do with? You didn't make it. You didn't do, you're, you're furious that this plant died, but you're also mad I wouldn't kill a bunch of people. 
Why do you love this plant which doesn't have an eternal soul more than you care about the souls of people who will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell? Why is a plant more valuable to you than a soul? And that's where the story ends. We don't get an answer from Jonah. We don't ever hear from Jonah again. Did he die? Did he repent? We don't know. It's just left up there. God is asking a question and we never get an answer from Jonah. Jonah, he never truly repents of his sin. We never get an answer to the question. We are left on a cliffhanger. And the writer, who we don't know who the writer of Jonah is, but the writer leaves it like that on purpose. He doesn't tell us the answer to the question because God is asking you that question. God is looking at you and saying, what do you value more than an eternal soul? What do you care more about than people getting saved? Now, I know all of us would say, plants are not as important as people, right? We can all say that. Plants are not as important as people, right? Dogs, maybe. Cats, no. Plants, definitely not. But plants are not more important than people. But what the question is, do you care more about temporary things of this world than you do about eternal souls? Do you care more about giving to missions so that the gospel can go to the entire world, so the gospel can go to people who have never heard it or people who hate us for even believing in God? Can you give financially to make sure the gospel gets there or do you spend more money on on your dog? And look, I love my dog. But we as Americans, we spend a stupid amount of money on our pets. Like billions of dollars a year on dog food. And I love my dog. Well, she ain't getting filet mignon unless I leave it on the stove and she gets it from me. But we spend so much money on our pets and our cats. And look, I love them. I, I make sure my dogs have good dog food. You know, Max is our old dog. He's 11 and blind and fat and not going to live long. I want to make sure he has a good life. So we get him, you know, food that helps his digestion and make sure he stays healthy. And look, he got sick. We thought he was going to die. We took him to the vet. We, we made sure he was taken care of. We take care of our stuff, but I'm not going to spend more money on my dogs than I am making sure God's kingdom gets given. If, if it was up to me, buy your dogs dog food or send to missions. I've never had that choice, thankfully. But missions is more important. So what about the dog? They can eat bread. They can eat the scraps. You know, and a lot of people, April's the same way. She's like, she, she has to get, get the same kind of dog food because she's like, they don't like this brand of dog food. Now, me, I'm like, they get hungry enough, they'll like it. You get hungry enough, you'll eat anything. But do we care more about our desires, our preferences, than we do about people getting saved? Do we spend more energy? Do you care more about your, your job than you do giving the gospel, you know, lost people. Do you care more about lost people or your popularity? I don't want to offend someone, so I don't want to share the gospel with them. Are lost people, even those people you don't like, are they real to you? 
Do you see them as living, breathing people with an eternal soul? See, no matter your sin or your wickedness, God's grace is greater. No matter what you have done, you are called to share the gospel. You know, the story of Jonah, it uses the word great a lot. Nineveh was a great city. When Jonah's in the, in the ship, God sends a great storm to get his attention. God prepared a great fish to eat him. The sailors were greatly afraid. Jonah was greatly angry. See, the point of the story is to show the greatness of God's mission and grace over the greatness of our sin. See, Jonah, he went from Israel to Tarshish to run away from the will of God so people he didn't like couldn't receive the grace of God. Jesus left heaven and came to earth so that people that didn't even like him could receive the grace of God. See, Jonah shows us no matter who we are, whether we're part of an evil empire or we're a rebellious, arrogant prophet, God loves you and God chases after you. He loves us and he wants to save us and he wants to use us to share the glory of the gospel with the lost and dying world. As his children, we're responsible to do his will and to share the grace of God with everyone we can, even those people who we think aren't worthy. Because here's what Jonah's showing us. Jonah is a mirror up to us. And we're saying those people aren't worthy and Jonah shows us none of us are. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserves God's mercy. And who are we who have received such incredible grace and mercy from God? Who are we to say they don't deserve it? So we're to give it and share it with everybody we can.